We were in Ramsgate uh, just on a weekend with my partner Keith, and somebody just stopped, like dead stop, and stared me and was like, "Are you? Are you there?" Oh. And then a few other times, like in London, and even in the studios at work, it's quite funny. Hello, I'm Poonam, and welcome to Crew Chats podcast, where I speak to the crew that work behind the scenes in the film, TV, and theatre industries. Today's guest is Raf Dilhan. You may have heard his name more recently on the TV show The Great British Sewing Bee, where he was a finalist. But in his day job, Raf works as a key textile artist for the film industry, having studied product and interior design in France to moving to Berlin, where a chance meeting with people in the industry led to his first film job, Monumentsman. Raf, who is now based in London, has worked on the likes of Cinderella, Artemis Fowl, Eternals and the upcoming Morbius, to name a few. Hi, Raf. Hi, Poonam. Uh, thank you for coming on to the podcast. I'm oh, very... no, thanks. Thanks <laughs> no, I'm very excited to talk to you because now you're kind of uber famous as well because of Sewing Bee. So. <laughs> Am I? <laughs> have you, actually, have you been recognised? Yeah. You get... That's really cool. How does that feel? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird feeling. Uh, it happened a few times, like randomly, we were in Ramsgate uh, just on a weekend with my partner Keith and somebody just stopped, like dead stop and stared at me and was like, are you, are you Raph? Oh. And then a few other times like in London and even in the studios at work, it's quite funny. That's interesting, isn't it? Because you'd expect people in the studios to sort of be kind of used to seeing people around. So it's nice. It's quite nice that they still sort of like, oh, wait, that's Raph from Sewing Bee. Yeah. Um, it's really funny, actually. Like, even people like on the, pro- pro- on the production I'm on now, it's there's uh, some accountant who yeah, texted him, like, oh, my God, you're on our job. This is exciting. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. I will uh, ask you more about Sewing Bee a bit later on. But um, you're a textile artist for the film industry. And I wanted to ask, what does that involve for you? So, yes, I'm a textile artist, meaning usually what we do is dyeing, printing and uh, fabrics before they're being made into costumes. And then once it's a costume, we age them before they go on camera to make sure that they look real. And... I'm going to ask you this first because I know a little bit about your background, but I find it really fascinating, actually. And um, how did you get into what you do? So I'm not sure how I ended up here. Um, I've, <laughs> studied, <laughs> I've studied product design. I've studied interior design. So that was like a combined degree back in France. And somehow I moved to Berlin at some point in my life and um, following a boy, basically. And then I met the right people who were working on a movie who were looking for somebody who could hold a brush, really. And... That's how it started. I think it's about 10 years ago now. I was aging props on Monuments Men and somehow I was within costume because the, the ager for the costume department was also doing props. And so I started meeting people there and then met yeah other textile, textile artists who were London-based. And so eventually I moved to London and yeah, carried on the fun of working in films thanks to that <laughs> so I've, I've really just learned on the job really um, I'm not actually trained to be a textile artist but um, I, I, it's the experience of doing the job that gave me my knowledge yeah because obviously you didn't train in that but then also you've done sort of ran- different things to then be where you are now how do you think and I think I want to use the word serendipity because it kind of, I don't know how serendipitous your chart meetings with people were to kind of get you to where you are now. But how do you think your life would have been different if you didn't go down the kind of costume department? Where do you think you would have? That's a really, really good question. Uh, I'm not sure where I would be. I think there's always been something driving me to 
go to the excitement like so i would never settle somewhere uh, or doing something to initially as a teenager i wanted to become a trumpet teacher and tr trumpet player because that was a big part of my life and then i realized that actually it's not much of a career and making money out of your passion is not necessarily the best thing either so I just carried on. I carried on studying. I went to a bigger city and then same story happened. I studied. I was like, okay, this is not it. I, I need to learn something else. So I carried on learning and following my path, like people say. But like, mm. just, um, I think it was not being content, I guess, with where I was and what I was doing. And it's definitely luck and potentially privilege as well of um, meeting the right people at the right time. Because as soon as I started working in films, I realized, oh my God, this is almost what I've been training for. In design school, we, we, we were trained at like painting and um, detail, attention to detail and um, knowing how to recreate textures and some specific effects. And when I first started, I realized actually all, all of what I've learned at school, I can apply in this department. And also I've always, it's funny, I was thinking about this the other day, I've got a very close friend, well, a couple of friends from my teenagehood, and we used to go to cinema together, like maybe seven times a week. Oh, wow. Quite mad. And we'd watch like three movies uh, in one day on Saturday night. We're complete geeks. And I think it's always been in the back of my mind that uh, that's what I want to do. I want to work in films. And eventually it happened and everything clicked together. I was like, this is... It makes sense that that's that's what I want to do. That's the knowledge I've accumulated without knowing this is what I was aiming for. Yeah, I think that's not an uncommon feeling because you find often in our industry that there's so many people that didn't, like you say, didn't necessarily study um, what they're doing now, but have yeah. ended up. But they've always it's always been sort of a creative. They've also has always had a creative kind of flair or like yeah. a training, I guess, in some way, and yeah, they yeah. were. And they end up finding their niche and pa like passion, like you say, in this kind of film, TV, theatre world, which is it's yeah. really nice because it's how we all end up where we are is really fascinating, I find. I think, I think you're right. It's, it's exactly that. Like, I knew I wanted to be working on something creative and I, w I wanted to do something with my hands. And I think when you grow up, your parents are like, you need to think about money and think about your pension. Yeah. I think I was lucky enough to have parents who were fully open-minded and they were like, you want to do music, just go for music. If, if you want to become an architect, just follow this. I think at that point, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And they did just push me towards that general direction of creative field and eventually knew that I was going to land where I wanted to be. Was, yeah, yeah. That's really lovely. Now, as a, as a textile artist, and often sometimes I think uh, I'm going to cl clarify this is that, um, you also as a textile artist, but also you then end up um, heading up a department of a textile team on a film production as well, which involves obviously you being the, the um, department lead. How is that and what does that involve? Yeah, so actually it's a very good question. So as a key textile artist, I guess, and I call it key, but some people call it head or mm. chief or lead. It's to me, I think, I'm not sure if there's like a job description that fits everyone, but I think to me, is being in charge of a team who is actually doing the printing and doing the dyeing. And my job is almost to relate information from the design team to the textile artists that are on my team. And also maybe have, I'd be involved in sampling and uh, coming up with ideas and doing a few 
I still like do some of the job, but not the actual production of the of the of the costumes. If, mm. I don't know if that's fair. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not too sure, and I feel like I would love to know how other people do it because I find myself often just, for example, drawing on the computer to make a design for a print, and then having to deal with a broken machine and make sure that um, the tumble dryer is fixed and that the leak is looked after by Pinewood so they can. Uh, we can carry on dying. It's like being a manager or like a supervisor of a room. Um, it's not necessarily all the time creative, but it's quite nice because you also have to look after the people and communicate with the artists that you hire because, you know, we all artists and we all have our own uh, sensibility and our own mind. So you also have to like manage their need and yeah, make sure you get the best out of them by being the best to them. How do you do that? And it's a, I know that's a very intense question to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, can we ask? <laughs> I think. Um, do you know? Think... Do you know why I ask that? It's because you know you kind of touched upon it there, and actually on past episodes when we've had heads of departments on, and I kind of haven't really. I've asked what are the team dynamics like, and how do you have your team? But actually, in reality, none of us those people in those positions whether it be a costume designer or a supervisor haven't really had or like for yourself who you're head of a, a department within that a, a bigger department haven't actually had the training that's in some of the corporate world you get to manage people right and you end up you you intended to be someone creative and then you whichever way your career goes you end up managing people to some degree and yeah. like I said you're not trained for that so a lot of that is just humanity and kind of common sense I guess and it's interesting to know how you pick those skills up because like apart from it being common sense and humanity there's some of it is people management that's, that's completely true I think I think I've learned uh, as everything else I've learned on the job uh, I think initially when I started heading my own department it was a smaller team so that was good and there were people that uh, I worked with quite often before so we had a good relationship but there's still moments where I think I had to learn how to to listen more and to be open to other people's ideas because eventually it's a teamwork and it's not just my work you know and it's not because you've got the key title that it's all about you <laughs> um, but um, I think I'm, I'm I'm not the best at doing it. I think there's still moments where it's a bit stressful and I don't know how to communicate uh, properly. Well, I can tell because everybody gets frustrated around. So when it happens, I try to like step back, don't like let the people do their things and then come back a few minutes later to be like, okay, so sorry about if I was a bit rude, but maybe we can think about another way to do that particular task that we were talking about. Or I think <laughs> it's pretty tricky. <laughs> sorry. Think, you know, I think my nature is also to not necessarily be like reaching, uh, like going fast forward. I think my I'm I'm more laid back and listen to what people say rather than telling what people to do. Um, mm. Yeah, I think I always try to get people involved early on so we can talk before we make a process. Yeah, it's a really good question because I'm, I'm not sure how I do it. <laughs> no, but I'm sure you do do it. And I appreciate it's actually a little bit of an unfair question. It's just um, anyone in, the, in your position would be hard to articulate exactly what it is that you're doing because you assume you're just, until someone tells you it's you're doing okay, I think. I think it's not just about um, hanging out with your friends as well. I think sometimes you have to be the boss and be like, okay, we need this done now and this is how we're going to do it. And you have to trust me because... That's how it's going to work. <laughs> yeah, <you're really> yeah. <laughs> I think I think you need a bit of both. I think that's yeah. probably the what yeah. I've seen. You need a bit, a little bit of both, which I'm 
again, like you say. Now, you kind of mentioned it earlier, actually, as well. And in relation to your relationship with the costume designer and then relaying that information, how, but how important is the relationship with the costume designer and how much input do you have versus how much input do they have and how do they come to you with an idea? Uh, yeah, so that very varies, actually. Um, it really depends on the designer and their team of assistants. Um, I think, yeah, it really varies on each project. And there's some designers that would completely hire you for your skills and be like, you just have to print this and just, this is, you're a technician here. You're not doing anything creative. And some others where there's way more room for exploring and sampling and be a bit more creative. And uh, so that's what I find a bit more exciting where you can have an input. So you come up with samples and color combinations and then you go back to the team, the designing team and show them and then start talking about, yeah, colors and patterns. And maybe at that point, maybe the designer be like, oh, I really like this actually, let's go for this one exactly. Or maybe something combination of those two samples and then let's see as a costumer, then we can move forward. I think that's, yeah, that's the ones I like the most. In terms of um, your kind of, like you say, everyone has, every creative has their own sensibilities. How do you kind of balance your sensibilities with their idea and vision and not necessarily always agreeing with them, right? Like you might think this would really work and they may turn around and say, well, no. And how do you manage that situation? So I think I never really look at a sample thinking, oh my God, this is the one, this is going to be great. Uh, I think I always ultimately it's up to the designer so I don't think I've got that kind of ego where I go in and I'm going to do this costume this is my creation and I'm not going to tell you the secret I think I always try and offer as many options as possible uh, or be open to whatever the assistants or the designer want to see and yeah come up with what I think it is that they wanted and let them decide <laughs> Fair enough. I think that's a, that's a very uh, diplomatic way of answering. <laughs> Sometimes there's still like moments where you're like, really, you're going for this sample? Okay. <laughs> Your film, not mine. <laughs> um, what do you, what discipline, because within, te I mean, we've had guests from um, the textiles department before as well that have spoken about um, kind of more technical technical aspects of it and specific things but um, episodes I can't remember the episodes but Matt and Steph is if you guys want to go and listen um but if what is your preferred or your specialism within the department do you have one or do you yeah um uh, it's gonna sound very cheesy but I love them all <laughs> <laughs> what's what's interesting is it's each job is different and uh, on one job you'll get your kick off breakdown and you'll be like oh my god amazing and then eventually after three months you're like I, I can't stand mud anymore so you go into another job which has a bit more printing and um I think to me because I learned on a job like I said um I initially just loved breakdown that was the thing I wanted to do just making things dirty that's that's what really got me in and then I learned how to dye and then I got obsessed with dyeing and how to dye different fibers and how to get the punchiest colors and yeah, learning all of the different techniques of ombres and patch dye. And yeah, I just got really into it. And then I, I was like, I'm just going to be a dyer from now on. And another job came along and it was way, way more print heavy than anything else. And I, yeah, I got into it as well. And same, learned more about various techniques and how to do it. Yeah, I think it's, it really varies. And I love them all. I think at the moment, I like printing the most. Fair enough. Um... Now, I know you're a big sustainability fan, and I know that's actually something that you're very interested in. And what, how did you get into that? And 
how have you tried to I appreciate it you're not you can't talk for the whole film industry and the whole breakdown <laughs> kind of industry within the industry but um how have you tried to textile industry sorry um how have you tried to implement some more sustainable practices into your into your work environment yeah so um every time i start on a job i try and set up uh clear rules about recycling and how to use water-based products more than uh, solvent-based products um it's it's um i don't know how i got really into it i think it's always been there and to be a bit more planet conscious and especially in the movie industry where we tend to waste so much and the turnarounds are often so fast that you have to do and waste uh, just a ridiculous amount of pigment and dyes and any anything that we use um so i think my little way to help is to try and yeah try to educate the team on what is recyclable and how to recycle it and use second hand if you can and uh, try limit the amount of hot box and tumble tumble dryer tumble drying that we do <clears throat> i think yeah it's little things it's not go full sustainable it's more like go greener when you can and what how you can i think that's i think yeah it's one of those things where it's hard i think especially on the film production like you say where the turnaround is so quick and yeah. usually people don't necessarily have the time to have the conversation beforehand or it's all very well intentioned but then it kind of goes a little bit out of the window when everyone's like okay we're filming now and this needs to be done yeah. like tomorrow <laughs> yeah, that's it. When, when the shooting is on it's all it's all now 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 and they, yeah they don't want to be told well no actually you have to wait a day and a half for the dye to fully set and then another day for it to dry <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I, I guess what you say is true. It has to be has to be done in small increments where it's you get the balance of trying to introduce it where you can, right? And I think that's yeah. a great and, way to start. Yeah, and I think with my team, I think at the moment what we're trying to do is replace all of the solvent-based products with water-based. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, again, sometimes it's just not possible because the zip that they want is made of polyester, so you need to use a dispersed dye, which is actually very bad for the environment. So you have to do it and then be cautious on how how you discard it and how maybe you can reuse it later or maybe or maybe you just don't do it <laughs> so you're quite involved in beck too i um are you a rep i am a rep yes a branch rep is that correct i think that's the word well i'm on the committee and so i'm yeah rep. and beck too is a union but they have different branches in the for i guess the, the they go beyond the creative world but i know from my experience they have a costume um union as well and hair and makeup and camera etc you're quite involved in the costume branch of that um why is it important i guess generally to be part of a union and why would you encourage people to be part of a union and how did you get involved and what's it been like um especially over the last um i can see your faces <laughs> um, <laughs> especially over the last year i know that the, like back to or whatever union it is that you're part of but have played quite an important role in the creative i'm sure other other industries as well but with kind of people not working and mm -hmm. trying to negotiate furloughs and all these other kinds of things that have been going on i think unions have been quite important um so i'll start with why i decided to join i think um i decided to join back to back when i started to be heading a textile room because mm. i wanted to make sure i knew the rules of uh how it worked like what the contract that we sign and what we expected to do like it's it was just sort of like a managing i think i saw back to as not just a union but also um 
like a group of people from the industry and from the costume department who were here to help. And I think at that time I wanted to know more about how people work and how what the, what are our rights. And maybe being French, you know, there's a bit of a revolutionary going on uh, in the background. <laughs> um, so I joined, first of all, for this. So yeah, I now represent workshops in costume. And so there's so jewelry, like what you do. There's, a, there's some people in leather as well, and some people in props, um, all of the makers and breakdown. So out of breakdown, it's only me on the committee at the moment. Uh, so... I'm only one representing all of the breakdown and textile. And it's uh, it's quite an interesting job because um, first of all, we all work in the industry. So we're all very busy. It's mm. not like we all sat at a desk every day coming up with new fights. <laughs> um, so sometimes it's very slow. Sometimes you don't hear anything for three months and then suddenly there's a meeting and uh, you have to think on your, <laughs> like, think about what we talked about last time. Joining the union, I think, is important because it's basically your HR. Um, if you join the film industry and you don't know your rights, uh, or if you get, um, if if an employer or a producer is, you think is not treating you right, you can get in touch with the union, and they're going to be here to have your back and make sure that you're treated correctly and fairly. And yeah, Big Two has often like gone back to producers and um, tell them off almost to try and get things changed mm. uh, so yeah it's basically it's important to join to make sure that there's a good representation of workers and also the more people the stronger we are mm. and so throughout last year during the pandemic lots of people joined because like you said with the furlough scheme a lot of us didn't get anything because it's it's a funny it's not funny actually it's a quite a complex picture in the film industry how people are hired are they on paye are they scheduled d or are they um, limited companies and some people navigate between the three or maybe just two of them um, and it's how how the rules was made for furlough seemed very unfair and so back to got very busy um, when i said back to i also involve officials so above the committee you have people at back to in the offices who are making sure that everything is done legally and they get in touch with the producers and packed and uh, lawmakers, I guess, in a way. And so, yeah, they got really busy and making sure that most of the crew and most of the producers uh, were looked after, I think. I think that um, it's really, like you said, it's really important because uh, you mentioned the hiring. It's a very, um, just generally how people are kind of hired onto a, a production is, is I don't want to use the word random, but it is just a bit like, you know, that there's no formal hiring process is what I mean, because of the nature yeah. of what we do. So it is really important to have that representation. Yeah, about I think that's, that's the main issue, actually, because um, most people who work in the costume departments don't really know about uh, employment, employment law or mm. <laughs> about yeah different status even. And when surely when I started, I had no idea. I was just happy to be paid. And uh, mm. so when you start looking into it, yeah, this. There's so many ways to get hired and it's not necessarily right for everyone to be hired as i don't know PYE or scheduled like it doesn't it, it depends on who you are and what you do and film the film industry is not your not necessarily your only job so it's it's really complex picture and it's important that people are here to try and represent and 
um, yeah, advise you as best as best as I can. I don't know if I am the best because um, there's so many different roles and so many different status. Um, but sure, yeah, for sure, the committee is on it and do join. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I am a member um, but uh, no I, I like you say just uh, just you are actually quite an active member I have to say and you do sort of I, I mean I don't want to go into the details of whatsapp groups but um, you are quite an active member I'm sure people do appreciate the work that you do I think like you say is it's important so yeah. I think it is yeah and for that particular for so yeah to sp talk specifics for a workshop I think it touches me like um, it's what we're trying to do with workshops, uh, what I try to do is represent most of the workshops, um, yeah. most people working in workshops. And like I said before, it's I don't know if I do the best job, basically. Sometimes, because I'm just me trying to represent all of us in breakdown and mm -hmm. and not just breakdown. And it's all, almost like having an argument with myself sometimes, you know, like playing chess against yourself. Like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And, I said, and actually, maybe it's not going to represent everyone. And so I have to go back to that WhatsApp group and ask, um, what do you think that is? And also, sometimes there's so much time between two meetings, and sometimes no decisions get made for a year and a half or two mm -hmm. years. And I worry that people might think that actually we, we're not doing anything. And well, sometimes, yeah, we're not because we're just waiting for an answer from uh, the other side, if you want, of the table. Um, so I try my best to represent and make sure that people are happy, but also I think it's important for more people to get involved because I think some people are way more passionate than me and way more militant than me. And so I hope those people who are, might be listening now <laughs> would, um, yeah, take a step forward and reach out and, uh, so we can be more on the committee potentially and more fighting the same fight. Yeah, exactly. It's good to yeah. have the rep and also yeah you also are working at the same time so it's one of those things where you don't you can't be spread too fit be involved as well because um so like when you're on one side of the table like it's all good to be in your workshop and all together agreeing that yeah this is what we want we need to go and ask for this and then actually being around the table with uh, people who negotiate and people who are your employer, um, you get to see an another side of the picture. So it sort of tints your view of what you want. And you're like, ah, oh, actually, yeah, there's other issues that are way more important. And then maybe you also start listening, listening at how things work in a bigger picture. And so it's fascinating. I think, yeah, my view keeps on changing, basically. <laughs> I shouldn't say this. <laughs> no, I think change is the only constant in life. Um, so it's one of those things, isn't it? You're ever evolving. You only It's only the more you kind of listen to people on the other side and pick up, listen to people on the same yeah. side as you, I guess, is if you wanted to yeah. say sides, the more you kind of information you have to kind of make it the best situation possible for yeah. Yeah, parties exactly. involved. Fine. Make sure that everybody's happy uh, with the yeah, situation. Yeah, um now i'm gonna ask about sewing bee <laughs> you were the finalist on this year's the yeah. great british sewing bee now i want to ask you loads of questions but the first one is why did you choose to apply oh my god um <laughs> yeah that's a very good question i wasn't gonna apply because uh, first of all i don't know how to sew and uh last year when season six was airing obviously we were all in lockdown and uh so I started to make my own masks just for 
because I thought, why not? There's nothing else to do. Um, and a friend texted me being like, oh my God, you need to apply to this. Like he saw an Instagram post uh, saying that the auditions were open. I was like, <laughs> yeah, not in a million year. And then I think the idea was in the back of my mind. And one night after maybe a few drinks, before <laughs> laugh, I sent my application. Um, and yeah, next thing you know, they call me the next week. And they're like, yeah, we want to interview for... Um, potentially carrying on and be on the show <laughs> and then what was that process like the kind of application process and then the process uh, of being picked I guess to be on screen it's quite a long process and it's interesting it, you have to fill a form online and then they call you back and then there's a few, a few a few interviews and a few tests more or less I'm not sure if I'm allowed to go in detail but I'm sure it's fine. Oh, yeah no that's, yeah just say it's whatever fine. you feel comfortable saying that's fine it's um so yeah, I can't remember precisely how many phone calls, but I remember two big days, if you want, where they call you on the phone and you go through an interview with two different producers. And then after that day, they this year, because of the pandemic, they did it on Zoom, but they usually put you in a room with four other uh, pretenders, let's say, who want to be on the show as well, that's same mm-hmm. as you. And so they give you a task to do uh, a pattern challenge in two and a half hours and they look at you how you interact with people and how do you sew like how like all of this how you come across basically wow and uh, after that stage I think that's the final stage after that they make a decision and they call you something like a month before the show starts and they're like okay yeah you you're on and if you want to still <laughs> how was that when you find oh my God. so it was so exciting. Like, I didn't think I was going to get caught in the game so much. Because um, I think initially I was really nervous. I was like, mm, who am I to do this? Like, uh, I mean, why am I doing this even? And when I found out I was going to be on, I got even more nervous. Because <laughs> I was like, God, now people are going to see me on TV and um, doing just this thing that I just do like as a hobby that I don't really know how to do. It's a bit strange. And a bit out of character because I think I'm quite like reserved, um, laid back person. But also, there was nothing else to do, and it was just great fun. So I just, I just thought I'm just gonna have fun with this. I'm just gonna go. Hope, hopefully, I won't be the first one to go because that's not what you want. Oh. And it just happened. I, I, yeah. <laughs> was it weird having a um, camera kind of around you and sort of? because you're you you work behind the camera technically in your day job right and yeah. then to be in front of it you know for that moment that the camera's on you the you focus. are the kind of yeah. like the focus of yeah. that scene right yeah. so I didn't really think about this because like you said quite used to having cameras around and quite used to ignoring them as well because um, <laughs> so when you start when you get in a room for the first time there's obviously a whole crew around and loads of cameras around way more than you think and I think that's the main thing that shocked me is how many cameras there was and when they tell you just never look at the cameras I just thought oh that's fine I'll just never look at the cameras <laughs> you just block them out and then you just focus on what you do and then um yeah it was to me it was it was quite fine to be on set I quite liked it <laughs> a new career in front of the camera for you then <laughs> was it weird having people watch you do your do the sewing because I guess with them um, with film you know they do the kind of behind the scenes filming kind of like you mentioned and you're sort of supposed to be doing your work and whatever whilst the, the cameras yeah. kind of are trying to find but 
but obviously when you're doing something which like you say you, you know was a hobby for you was and something you had picked up quite recently yeah. so you yourself are probably still figuring things out and learning things and then there's a cam and like you see was it weird to have uh, not just the cameras but the presenters and the you know other people in the room sort of observing what you're doing well um it wasn't that weird because that's i mean that's exactly what the show is like uh, i knew i was <laughs> going for signing this. up for it yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think um I just, I just thought, um, honestly, the whole thing was just fun. Um, I didn't, I didn't like, I think I wasn't self-aware. I think that's the main thing. I just never thought twice and I just went for it. So whenever there was a task to do, I was focused on the task and not mm -hmm. think, oh, there's five cameras around me. And then there's a presenter is walking towards me. Oh my God, I don't know what to do. I was just, um, I think I'm quite good at focusing on one thing at one time. <laughs> good. Which is, I don't know if it's quality. People usually should be able to multitask, but I'm quite no. good at blocking things out. <laughs> it just means that you'll do what you're having to do well. That's probably what it means. Yeah. 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 Um, how was it keeping it a secret? Because it's filmed in advance of it coming out. So you had to keep quiet a lot of it, wouldn't you? Yeah. Did I keep it a secret? <laughs> I don't know. I d no, but like, you know, coming, who's who's gone out or oh, yeah. all those kinds of things. Who's won and who's yeah. won this challenge or what, you know, because obviously naturally if you win something, like if, if you won the pattern challenge for that week or the garment of the week or yeah. you'd want to tell people, right? And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think, um, um, yeah, once everything was recorded, I was super proud of what I'd done. But then also I didn't want to spoil it to anyone. Mm. I think if anyone had known precisely what happened every week, I think, first of all, I would spoil it to them. And then if they repeat it to anyone else, it's not... I don't think, I think people, I think I would definitely want not to know what's happened. Mm. So, so you can discover it week after week and yeah, just enjoy. So yeah. it was, it was fairly simple to keep it a secret. I quite enjoy keeping, keeping it a secret. <laughs> Seeing everyone's reactions. It was aired as, um, obviously I was at work and people at work were always like trying to get like a little nuggets of like information and trying to see <laughs> what was going to happen and how did I get on with so and so. And uh, no, actually, I had fun pretending not to know things or like giving them false information. So <laughs> 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 um, what your biggest, what your takeaway has been from being on Sewing Bee? Yeah, I think from Sewing Bee, what I take the most away is uh, more confidence. I think I, although I don't sound it, I always like that myself, but um, <laughs> uh, it's made me a bit more, uh, yeah, confident in going through life and uh, approaching people. Oh, that's really interesting. That's really cool that that's happened as well. And yeah. do you, do you think it's influenced? I mean, it may, it may not have, but has influenced your work practice in any way? I'm not sure if it's influenced my work. I think if anything, people at work now are like, "Oh well, you know how this costume will be constructed." So I think there's a bit of banter going on with. Like, <laughs> well, you can cut it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, but other than that, no, I don't think it's really influenced much. <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. Um, I'm going to ask you my final question now, which is, what are your to-watch recommendations? Okay, so I know this one has been already mentioned on the show and actually by Sammy, who I work with uh -huh. uh, the most. And I can't recommend it enough. It's such an amazing documentary. I've watched it three times already. You, every time you watch it, you notice something that you've not noticed before. 
is really clever. It's called hypernormalization. Mm. This is just uh, breathtaking, breathtaking, and it makes you open your eyes on society and how it, something that happened in the seventies to these days still has a massive impact on conflict and uh, the political world uh, as we are. Um, and it all, yeah, it's not just about politics; it's also about how society works and how the banks are in control. <laughs> it's going to sound a bit conspiracy-like. Um, <laughs> no, 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 it doesn't. It doesn't. I can't recommend it enough. It's so much footage in there. And it's, I think it's about two and a half hours long, maybe three hours, if I recall it. Wow. It's, uh, yeah, if you've not watched it, like 100% watch it. Ah, it's been on my list, naturally, because it was recommended before. But I think you've said you've watched it three times, which is yeah. high praise. Yeah, it's, yeah, because it goes through history as well, like, how the conflicts evolved from that one event in, in the 70s. It's on the, list. <laughs> it's on the list. It's on the list. Then I've got, I think not many people would know this movie. It's called, it's a French movie. It's called La Belle Verte or The Green Beautiful. It's a strange movie of sort of an alien that comes to Earth to try and check on the Earth and see how humanity is doing. Oh. Um, but so it's not an, an actual alien. She looks like a human. And what I really like about this this job, the, this film, is that it's it's very poetic and it's French. And also, I found out recently Lorenzo has worked on it. That was his very first job. Ah. And it's, it made it even more of a feel good movie to me because I've watched it when I was what maybe ten, eleven with my parents and uh, it's also my mom's favorite it's just full of humor and uh, yeah it's very cute oh oh i'll have to <laughs> ask him about that as well yeah uh, yeah i wonder how he recollects it and it's very like silly humor sometimes i think yeah i think the english people is ready for this film 20 years on <laughs> uh, Okay, the next recommendation is maybe more of a recommendation of a director, Ryan Murphy, and most of the things that he does. And my top two of his jobs are Ratchet recently, with all of the all of the costumes. So you know it's um the, it's, is it the nurse? Yeah. Ah Sarah Paulson and Cynthia Dixon. Ah, so okay. Sarah Paulson is the nurse, yeah. It's set, I think it's set in the 50s, it's post-war. And yeah, the, the costumes are incredible. The colours as well. Like, mm. she wears this, like, turquoise teal uh, nurse outfit all throughout. And it's just, yeah, it's beautiful to the eye. Mm. I've seen uh, the trailer. story is very clever. <laughs> and in the series, she sort of, like, take a turn and evolves into something a bit more caring and human and um, her relationship with Cynthia Dixon the character of Cynthia Dixon is just uh, quite nice and unusual to watch on tv mm. uh, yeah the story is quite good check that out. Turns. oh yeah and then the other one from Ryan Murphy that I really liked was Hollywood uh Hollywood was good yeah yeah I, I like how it's like so unrealistic how everybody's happy at the end. yeah <laughs> <laughs> I remember <laughs> thinking the same thing it's almost it. There's one more. Go on, go on, go on. I'll let you have it. <laughs> it's, uh, from T. Davis, um, years and years that came out two, two, two years ago, maybe now. Yes. And you know, it goes. So it's a show that starts. I think it starts in like 2015, and then each episode fast forwards uh, in time, and he predicts what's what happens in society in the next few years 
in Britain. And quite a few things have happened now, which is a bit scary. Oh. But the more you watch, it's almost like dystopian Black Mirror-esque, mm. um, where you get, um, yeah, he forecasts, basically, events that are going to happen in England and how society will react to it. And yeah, it's really good. I highly recommend. Oh, I should check that out as well. Sounds very interesting. Um, Thank you, Raf, for your recommendations. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been really fun talking to you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Raf. And if you get a moment, could you please like, follow or subscribe on your podcast platform and follow the Crew Chats podcast on Instagram. Thank you.